are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. thankful for the singing of the North Valley Baptist Church. There is no church that sings like this church. I feel like after all this special music, God has done an amazing work in my heart. I'm ready to hit the altar and go home. How about you? Now I want to give you your money's worth tonight, and so we still have some preaching to do. But I am so thankful to be in God's house. There is no place I would rather be tonight than right here at the North Valley Baptist Church. And as Brother Cooper said, God has blessed us with amazing weather. It is beautiful out this evening, and I can see all the fires going. I know we have the heaters going over there, and I thank you for being in God's house. Tonight we find ourselves sort of in an interesting place. It's a place where perhaps there's some uncertainty in your mind. It's a place where maybe there's a little bit of fear. Perhaps, as you've been watching the polls and you've been reading the news, perhaps there's a spirit of defeat in your heart tonight. But I'm glad that you came to God's house because this is the place where we can get all of that resolved tonight. You know, as we think about that, I'm reminded that God hasn't called us to live a life of defeat. As Brother Everson said, we are more than conquerors. We're on the winning side. We don't have to go through life discouraged. We don't have to go through life disappointed. We don't have to go through life hoping that everything's going to turn out all right because we read the back of the book and we win. We know the ending. We know we're on the winning side. There's no need to fear this evening. For the next few moments, I'd like us to turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings in chapter 18. And I'd like us to look at the life of Elijah. Elijah was a mighty man of God that God used mightily to turn the nation of Israel back to him. I'd like us to look at a, a few passages and a story. And I want us to walk away with one thought this evening. It's a thought that I hope and I pray we can take with us. I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. As I have prayed for this service tonight, I have prayed that God would allow me to be an encouragement and a help to you as we strive to live the Christian life. Let's bow our head together and let's have a word of prayer for the service. God, we do love you. And God, we are thankful that prayer is just as big as you are. And God, you're an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Lord, before you ever spoke this world into existence, you knew where we would be tonight. You knew the circumstances, you knew the surroundings, and yet, God, we can gather tonight to worship you. I pray as we study your word that you would help us to get the thought of the hour to take with us as we move on to the weeks. Lord, we do pray for our country, America. Lord, we pray for the elections. God, we pray that your will would be done. But Lord, most importantly, I pray that our nation would turn back to you. We ask your blessing on the service to follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight in, Eli in, the, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we find the story of Elijah, a mighty man of God. At this time in Elijah's life, Elijah is basically at the brook. He is there at the brook Cherith, and basically the ravens are coming, and they are feeding him. You'd have to understand what's going on in Israel at this time. A new king took over the reign by the name of Ahab. He very quickly married a woman by the name of Jezebel. 
a very wicked, wicked woman. The Bible says that when she came and took over that position of queen of Israel, she brought with her all kinds of idols. She brought with her false gods. She brought with her the groves and the prophets, the false prophets. She took the nation of Israel from looking to God Almighty to looking after the false gods of Baal. She basically sent out into the nation and began to round up and kill the prophets of God. It was a very depressed time for the people of Israel. We find that during this time, God looks down and through Elijah sends judgment. He tells King Ahab, there's going to be a drought, there's not going to be rain. And for a period of three years, there's no rain. The prophets of God go into hiding and Elijah finds himself at the brook. You can imagine it was a very depressed time. If we were to study this passage out, we would be able to make a lot of similarities between where Elijah finds himself in the nation of Israel and where we find America tonight. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, we see that the word of God comes to Elijah. And, Eli and God tells Elijah, Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab, and I want you to tell Ahab, I'm sending the rain. Now you have to understand, Elijah was a marked man. Elijah was someone who Ahab had been looking for. He had been searching high, he had been searching low. He had been going from city to city trying to find Elijah. And God says, Elijah, I'm going to send you to King Ahab. As he goes to King Ahab, Ahab approaches him. And in verse number 17, they meet. And Elijah says to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Isn't it an amazing thing? That here's Elijah, the man of God, person who was following after God, who was doing what God had commanded him to do. And here was a wicked political leader who looks at the man of God and says, you're the problem. You're the reason we're in the mess we're in. But Elijah, being a man of God and being a very bold man, looks at him and says, it's not me, Ahab, it's you. You're the problem with our nation. You're the problem with the land. It's not me, the man of God. It's not the people of God. It's not God Almighty. It's you. It's your wicked wife. It's your prophets of Baal. And there at that scene, Elijah says, this is what we're going to do, Ahab. I want you to go out, and I want you to round up the children of Israel. Get as many as you, as you can. Bring the prophets of Baal. You know, the prophets that are eating at your wicked wife's table. I want you to get them, and I want you to assemble us together and we're going to meet on Mount Carmel. And that's exactly what King Ahab does. He goes out. He rounds up. He calls the children of Israel. He brings the prophets and they meet at Mount Carmel. It's an amazing thing what, what transpires from here. Elijah then challenges King Ahab. I, I really like Elijah. He's an amazing person. He's a man's man. As I, as I read over this passage many times, I thought, man... We need more men like Elijah in America today, who's not afraid to stand up to the politicians, not afraid to stand up to the wicked political leaders and say, thus saith the Lord. And we find Elijah, and he says, this is what we're going to do. He asked the question to the nation of Israel. He says, why halt ye between two opinions? He said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem here. We have some people worshiping God, and we have some people worshiping Baal. This isn't right. There, there can only be one true God. And we're going to settle it right here and right now. He says, let's do this. You take a bullock, I'll take a bullock. You prepare the sacrifice, I'll prepare a sacrifice. 
you get wood, I'll get wood, and this is what we're going to do. You call on the name of your God, and I'm going to call on, my, on the name of my God, and let the God that sends fire down, let him be your God, and let's worship him. And they look at each other and they say, that's, that's well said. That sounds like a plan. Let's do that. What we find happen next is the prophets of Baal immediately begin to get to work. They take their bullock and they cut it in pieces. They prepare it. They then take the wood and the stone and they build their, their altar. They begin to prepare their sacrifice. They have everything in place. And they begin to call out to the name of Baal. They begin to call out to their God and send fire. And the Bible says that from morning until noon, they are busy at work, but nothing happens. There's no fire that falls. There's no answer to, in, in response to their prayer. Nothing is going on. It's amazing to note that Elijah during this time seems to be doing nothing. He's not preparing the sacrifice. He's not building an altar. He's basically sitting back and watching. Now, if you think about it, here he is. He's challenged the prophets of Baal. There's a lot riding on this challenge. The entire nation is looking to him to see who is the real God. And yet, while this other group of people, these false prophets, are building and getting ready, he is sitting back doing nothing. I love what happens next. It's an amazing thing. I think God allows us to see the humanity of Elijah, to realize he, is, he was a real person just like us. What the Bible says in verse 21 and 27, the Bible says at noon, Elijah began to mock. He began to make fun of. He began to call out. I, I imagine he would have said, hey, prophets of Baal, how's it going over there? Do you got the bullock? Do you have the wood? Is your God answering you? I haven't seen the fire fall yet. Is everything okay over there? He begins to literally make fun of them. Look at what the Bible says in verse 27. The Bible says, And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey. Or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. He calls out, hey, prophets of Baal, I see you've been busy for hours. I've been sitting over here just kind of taking it easy myself, but I see you've been busy. There's a lot of activity going on. I see your altar. I see your sacrifice, but I don't see your fire. I, I don't see that your God has answered. I know what the problem is. Perhaps he's in a conversation. You know, maybe, maybe he's busy talking and he just can't, he, he, he doesn't have time for you. Or maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps your God went on vacation. He took a little break and maybe he left his voicemail on. Or I know what it is. Maybe he's sleeping. That if you would just cry aloud, be louder, maybe your God will wake up from his sleep. The Bible says in response, they cried aloud. They heard Elijah. They knew Elijah was mocking them. He then, they then began to respond by crying aloud. The Bible says they began to cut themselves at a point until the blood began to just gush out from them. 
a very disturbing sight to see. It's amazing because Elijah really begins to talk trash to them. He begins to talk smack. Now, I am a little bit older. I did not grow up in this generation of, in sports, everything is politically correct. I didn't grow up in this, this era where everyone gets a ribbon for showing up and putting on a uniform. Back in my day, believe it or not, we played sports for one reason and one reason only. I see Brother Jackson, he can verify. We played to win. We didn't play to go out there and just have a good time. We didn't play to simply, you know, we just want to represent our school. No, we went out there because we had one goal, and that was to beat our opponent, to win, and to do whatever it took to win. Forgive me for saying that. I know it's not politically correct, but it's the way it was, which meant sometimes we would have to talk a little bit of trash. You know, if you're not talking trash, you're really not trying. You're not, you're not putting your best foot forward. I can remember in the soccer field, I played defense. And myself and the other people who played defense with me, we knew if someone was going to come into our zone and try to shoot and score on us, they were really going to have to work hard. And we did everything we could to be as physical as possible and literally put them on the ground. Our goal wasn't to hurt them, to injure them, but we wanted them to know, look, when you come into our zone, you better be ready because you're really going to have to earn this goal. And you know, from time to time as we would slide tackle them and they would end up on the ground, we would walk by and we would make a comment or two to them and we would say, hey, you better get comfortable down there. You're going to be down there a lot tonight. Every time you come into this area, just be prepared. We're going to put you on the ground. You are not going to score on our team. What were we doing? We were talking trash. We were trying to get in their heads. Why? We wanted that psychological advantage. We wanted them to know not only can we play, but we're going to get in your heads and we are going to win decisively. Now, like anything, there's a time and there's a place for talking trash. This is what I've learned from my experiences being on winning teams and unfortunately being on some really bad losing teams. You don't talk trash when your team stinks. You ever notice that? If your team is no good, if you're the bad news bears, you're not out there talking trash to the other team. You know your place. You know you roll. You know you realize it's not the time to do it. You also don't talk trash when you're losing the game or when you've already lost. You know, you get blown out and you walk and you guys stink. It means nothing. It's, it's like, what are you doing? You, you lost the game. The scoreboard spoke louder than your trash talking. But I want you to think about that. You don't talk trash when your team is no good. And you don't talk trash when you're losing or when you've lost. And here's Elijah. He hasn't even begun to build his altar. He hasn't prepared a sacrifice. He hasn't even gotten started. And yet we find him literally mocking the other side, talking trash to them, letting them know you guys are going to lose. Why would he do that? Because he had such great confidence in his God. He knew who was on his team, and that was God. He knew that, hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? 
He knew he was on the winning side. He didn't go into it wondering, I wonder who's going to win this challenge. I hope we really have a chance. No, when he issued that challenge, he knew it was a done deal. The story was over. He was victorious. And that is why he could go in and he can mock them without even starting. It's amazing what happens. Then Elijah gets serious and he says, all right, it's time to start. And he prepares his bullock. He goes back, and it's interesting if you read it, he goes back to the altar of God that was neglected. He goes back to the altar of God that had not been used for some time, and he begins to build it back up. This isn't my message tonight, but I had this thought. It's amazing he didn't build a new altar. He didn't introduce a new way of sacrificing or a new way of worship. He went back to the old altar. He said, if it was good for the generations before me, if it was good for the people who worship God before, then you know what? It's good enough for me. I don't have to find a new altar. I don't have to come up with a new way of worship. I'm going to go back to the old paths that worked in the days of Israel, and it'll still work today. It's not my message. That's bonus for you this evening. But he goes and he prepares his altar. He gets the meat ready. He builds the stones, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He then does something that is very strange. He digs a, a large trench around the altar and he says, bring me four barrels. They take those barrels and he says, fill them with water. He takes those barrels of water and literally begins to soak and saturate that altar, that sacrifice. A total of 12 barrels of water completely soaking that sacrifice that he is trying to prove and challenge the prophets of Baal with. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I've gone camping enough to realize if you want to build a fire, you don't put water on it. If you want something to burn, you don't soak it. Those fire pits that we had going this evening, I'm pretty sure... Uh, Brother John Morris and Brother Kevin Padillo didn't soak them with water tonight right before they lit them. Water and fire typically don't go together. They don't mix. Again, why did Elijah do that? I believe he did it again to further demonstrate, look, you can't stop me winning. You can't stop God from sending the fire. There, because it is so wet, there is nothing humanly speaking that I can do to light this. If it is going to be lit, if this challenge is going to be won, it's going to happen because God is in control. The Bible says he then stepped back and he began to call on the name of his God. And he called on the name of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The Bible says that the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the sacrifice, burnt up the altar, completely licked up all the water. There was nothing left. He consumed it. The prophets of Baal then began to look, and the Bible says that the children of Israel worshiped God. It said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah then rounds up the prophets of Baal and says, kill them. And he slays in that day all of the prophets of Baal. Imagine what an amazing victory that Elijah saw happen there. Imagine it. The fire of the Lord fell, consumed it. 
People fell on their knees and worshipped God. The false prophets of Baal were killed. God won an amazing, unbelievable victory for Elijah that day. The story doesn't end there, though. In verse 41, the Bible tells us that Elijah tells Ahab, now that it's all said and done, now that he proved that his God was God, he says, Ahab, get thee up. Go home. Nothing else to see here, folks. Go ahead and go home, Ahab. Go home and eat and drink, because it sounds like rain is coming. Remember when I told you three years ago there wasn't going to be rain? Well, go ahead and prepare yourself, because the God whom I serve is now going to send rain. Ahab then gets in his chariot and begins to, to take off. And perhaps one of the most interesting verses I found, and this is one of those verses that Brother Bertram's going to have to elaborate and explain to me, because I'm sure there's some deep spiritual meaning, but I'm staying shallow today, and I think there's a very practical illustration here. The Bible says in verse number 46, let's take a look at it together. Verse number 46, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Here is this amazing victory. And Elijah wins. Ahab packs up his chariot. He begins to head home. And Elijah could have just walked away. He could have said, that was amazing, God. It's done. But for whatever reason, the hand of the Lord comes upon Elijah. He girds his loins and he begins to run ahead of Ahab. I don't know if that is literal, where he began to literally run right in front of his chariot. And as Ahab rode in his chariot, Elijah ran next to him, smiling at him. But he beats him to the gates. And so as Ahab is coming into the gates of Jezreel, Elijah is there. And I imagine Elijah is just smiling ear to ear. Hey, Ahab. Hey, do you remember what just happened? Do you remember my God that just won? I, I, it seems to me as if maybe he was gloating a little bit. Maybe he was bragging a little bit. Maybe he was perhaps showing off a little bit. Why? Because he knew his God. He knew that his God had all power and all might and that his God was not going to lose. Ahab, or Elijah's on cloud nine, really. He just witnessed this amazing victory. It's a picture of the victorious Christian life. I wish every single day of my life was like that story of Elijah. I, went, I, I wish I went from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop, high to high to high, just living in victory in the Christian life. But if we're real this evening with each other and we're honest, unfortunately the Christian life is sometimes up here. And then in perhaps moments like tonight, with great uncertainty, we find ourselves at a low. We find ourselves in the valley. In chapter 19, verse 1, it's a continuation of the story. In fact, it's the same exact story. In chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab goes home to Jezebel and tells Jezebel of what happened that day. Jezebel sends out a messenger to Elijah and says, You're a dead man. You will be dead by this time tomorrow. Mark my words. I have gone after the other prophets. You know I'm serious what I'm talking about. Elijah, you're a dead man. Now think about Elijah for a moment. 
He just literally saw the fire fall down from heaven. He saw the prophets of Baal rounded up and killed. He saw an amazing miracle. He saw the rain come at the word of God. And yet, the Bible says that when he received this word of the messenger, he literally took off running. He goes into the wilderness a day's journey and he puts himself under a juniper tree. And he sits down and he says, God, just kill me. God, it's enough. Just take my life. As I read this story, I asked myself, how is it possible to go from such a, an amazing high, such a horrible low? How is it possible to go from such great victory to such a miserable defeat? A man of such great faith to a place of such great fear. The easy answer this evening would be, well, the circumstances changed. I mean, Queen Jezebel literally told him, you are going to die. You're a dead man. I mean, if someone, if we got word from the president or from someone today, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're coming for you. You're going to be gone tomorrow. It may be a good reason to run if it is you or I. But we're talking about Elijah, the prophet of God, who just called down fire from heaven in an unbelievable, impossible way. And now Elijah is literally running for his life. Say, well, the circumstances changed in his life. You know, so often we make decisions based on the circumstances of our life. I lost my job. I'm out of here. i got to leave California. It's not going to work here. Or we read in the news and uh, the governor is passing another crazy law unconstitutional. You know what? California, I am out of California. Forget it. This, is, this place is it's crazy. I'm moving on. Sometimes we make our decisions based on the circumstances that surround our life. But you know, if you study and you go back before chapter 18, really the circumstances didn't change. Elijah was already a wanted man. Elijah was already being sought after. In reality, nothing changed from chapter 17 to chapter 19. We'll say, well, what caused Elijah to go from great victory to great defeat, from great faith to great fear? What it was that changed wasn't his circumstances. It was his focus. Instead of looking to God and saying, hey, God can take care of me. God can send fire from heaven. God can win this victory. He begins to look at, oh, I'm, I'm a wanted man. Jezebel is going to kill me. He begins to look at his circumstances of life and focus on his circumstances to the point where he is literally running for his life saying, God, just kill me. As we look at the circumstances of life today, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to look around and say, what happens next? What, what does America look like in a week from now? In two weeks from now? Is there really going to be a fair election? There's a lot of question marks in our mind, but can I remind each of us tonight that those are all just circumstances. No matter who wins the election tonight or tomorrow or a week or a month from now, whenever it's settled, I can promise you that in four years, there's going to be a whole different group of people. And then four years from that, there's going to be a completely different group of people. And then you get the idea every four years, right? 
What's the point? That the circumstances of life are always going to change. They've always changed in the past. They will continue to change now. They will change until we go home to heaven one day. We cannot live our lives from a place of fear based on the circumstances of our life. Tonight in your life and mine, I wonder, what are we choosing to focus on? What is focus? Focus is simply a directed attention. It's what we choose to center our attention toward. I can remember in high school, so many of my coaches would give us a prep, top, a prep talk, before, you know, the, usually the practice before game day, and they'd say, you got to focus on the game. you got, you got to get focused. you got to be ready to go. you got to focus, focus, focus. I can remember we had a coach, uh, Coach Thompson. And when he became our basketball coach, most of the guys were pretty ticked off with him. He was intense. I mean, he was super intense. I can remember he'd get, we'd get into these huddles, and he'd say, eye contact, eye contact. And if someone wasn't looking at his eyes, he would say, give me laps, take off. And he would send us around the court over and over. What was he trying to get us to do? To focus on him. Usually, everyone had a different routine to get focused. Before basketball games, I'd go home and I'd play PlayStation, NBA 2K. That is how I would get ready. I'd get focused for my basketball game. Or I would turn on the classic movie, Hoosiers. I mean, nothing got me excited to go play basketball like Hoosiers. And I would, I would get psyched up. I would get focused. I would think about basketball. I would watch on my VHS player, pre-recorded, you know, video clips of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. What was I trying to do? I was trying to get my mind on basketball. If I had a quiz that day in school, or if I had a test that day in school, it really didn't matter. I didn't care. My focus... My attention, my every thought was on that game. It was on that sport. It was, all right, this is my position. This is my role. This is what I have to do. This is our strategy to win. That was my focus. I wonder in our lives this evening, what is it that we're focusing on? What is it that we are directing our attention to on a daily basis? You know, Apple has this neat thing on, it, on the iPhone. It's called screen time. At the end of the week, it gives me a report that tells me how many hours a day I spent on my phone. It then further breaks it down. It says, this is how much time you were on email. This is how much time maybe you spent on social media. This is how, many, how much time you spent on the news. You know what it's doing? It's basically telling you, this is what you focused your attention on this week. I have to admit, Sometimes when I see that screen report, I'm extremely discouraged. No way. There's no way I spent eight hours today on my phone. But it's amazing that, you know what, I wondered how many times today did we look up the election results? How many times did we go to social media to see what is being said about this? What, what about what's going on in Michigan? How many times did we turn our attention and our focus on the things, the circumstances that are going on around us. I wonder how many times today we thought, God, whatever happens in the elections, I know you're in control. God, no matter what happens today, I, I just want to praise you. God, I want to give you the glory because, God, you're worthy. 
And although I may not know who, who's sitting at the White House next, next term, I know who's on the throne, who's been there, and who will continue to stay there. I know that you're the God of all this universe, that you have all power, you have all might, and you have not forgotten about me. It's human nature to look at our circumstances and to base our life off circumstances. You know, when we base our life off circumstances, it's like riding a roller coaster. It has its highs, it has its, its, its lows. It's ups, it's down, it's side to side, it's upside down, right side back up. And we come off shaken, we come off almost dizzy, trying to figure out what is going on in my life. But that's not how God wants us to live our lives. God wants us to live our life focused on Him. When we focus our life on God, it gives us stability. Why? Because no matter what may change around us, He never changes. No matter what the circumstances of life may dictate to us, God is still on the throne. He's still in control. So many times we make decisions and we focus on every circumstance around us that we forget about what truly matters in life. I wonder, have we focused on that day where we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior? We're quick to pick up our cell phone and look at the election results, but I wonder, have we focused on God and say, God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for that day where you reached down your hand of mercy. And God, when there was nothing I could do for myself, you picked me up out of that miry clay. You set my feet on the solid rock. God, you took away my chains. You set me free as we sang about this evening. And God, I just want to praise you. God, I just want to thank you. God, I want my eyes to be focused on you. I wonder if God would have us, and I know he would, to focus on the fact that all around us, people are dying and going to hell. Does it matter who's in the White House next term? Absolutely. Does it matter more that someone may die and go to hell and not know Jesus Christ as their Savior? I want my focus to be so on God that when I see people, I'm not asking myself, I wonder if they're Republican or Democrat. I wonder if they support President Trump or if they're for Joe Biden. I want my thought, I want my concern to be, I wonder if that person is saved. I wonder if they know Jesus Christ as, my, as their Savior. If we're focusing on the temporal circumstances, that's not going to be our mindset. We can have victory in the Christian life, but it's going to require us to focus on God. When Peter focused on Christ, he walked on the water. By faith, he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water to Jesus Christ. But when he took his eyes off Christ and began to look at the waves, the Bible says he began to sink. The children of Israel saw the walls of Jericho fall when they put their faith in God's deliverance. But when they turned to their own ability, they were defeated by the tiny nation of Ai. Fear caused the children of Israel to stand still. While the Egyptians approached, faith caused them to step out and cross the Red Sea. All throughout the Bible, we find story after story after story. Where, in, where a person in their humanity and their flesh could not do the impossible. But God does it. God breaks through. God makes the impossible possible. 
can we focus on Him? I have to admit to you, I hate COVID. I hate every aspect of it. I hate the lockdowns. I hate the shut-ins. I hate the masks and the shield. I hate the social distancing. I hate every aspect. I don't mind sitting outside. This is kind of nice. But I, I hate everything else. And you know, sometimes pastor stands up here and pastor says, well, it's amazing to see what God is doing through COVID. And if I'm honest with you this evening, I, I, I cringe a little bit. Because sometimes I get so focused on all the negatives of what's going on with COVID that I miss seeing what God is doing. Can I be honest and tell you that in my life, one of the greatest things that have happened to me is COVID. Why? Because it's brought me to a point where I realize I can't do this thing called life on my own. I can't be what I need to be as a school principal. I can't be the husband and the father I need to be. I, I can't be the man of God that I need to be without His aid, without His help. It's caused me to have a greater reliance on God than ever before. I have done my very best over these last matter of weeks to turn off the news. For those of you who know me, you know I love politics. I love to talk politics. I love to read politics. I just, I, I enjoy it. I taught government for a number of years in the school, and I, just, I love politics. But I ha I've had to really work on it because if I'm not careful, I know what reading all, all the news does to me. I know how it gets me discouraged. I know how it causes me to lose faith and increase fear. But when I turn my eyes upon Jesus, when I begin to look and think that, God, I know you're in control. God, I know that I can trust you. I know that come what may, your will be done. You have a perfect plan for my life. And God, I'm not going to make a wrong decision based on the circumstances I find myself in. God, I want to completely and utterly rely on you. I ask you this evening as we prepare for the invitation, what is it that you're focusing on? As we go through the next day, number of days and weeks and months and even years, at North Valley Baptist Church, can we make a decision? I'm not going to focus on my surroundings, but I'm going to focus upward. I'm going to look to God. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to live in faith. And by doing so, I will live a life of victory. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.